This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. I'm your host, Bev Jones. I'm an executive coach and a writer, and my latest book is Find Your Happy at Work. In today's show, we're going to be talking about teams and about how to create strong teams and cultures that work for every person, no matter where they might be located. And I'm so excited today because we're welcoming back an expert in team building, Kevin Eikenberry. Kevin has worked with leaders in more than 50 countries, and he's often been described as one of the top leadership gurus in the world. Kevin is also a prolific writer. He's written many books, and today he'll share tips from his new book, The Long Distance Team, Designing Your Team for Everyone's Success. He'll tell us about ways to shape and nurture remote and hybrid teams that actually do work. And he'll describe what it takes to create a culture that encourages employee engagement and success, even from a distance. Kevin, it is wonderful to have you back. Thank you so much for joining us again here on Jazzed About Work. Well, Beverly, I'm jazzed to be back because, you know, it was an honor to be invited once, to be, but to come back, it's fantastic. Well, speaking of your last time here, I checked and it was the very beginning of January in 2022 when we spoke. And at the time, it felt like um, remote work and all the issues around it were kind of part of the, the COVID environment, that it was all temporary and some people still thought life would go back to normal. But now everything's changed. It feels like there's an entirely new normal that hasn't quite been defined, but that things like remote work and hybrid work and flexible work, they're part of the new office work gig, aren't they? So does it feel to you like there's been a a cosmic change and location doesn't matter that much anymore? Well, I I don't want to sound like I knew what was going to happen because no one does, but this is kind of where I thought we would be in a way. Like, you know, when we, if we talked at the beginning of 2022, um, you know, there was a lot of people that were hoping they would be able to bring everybody back. And, uh, and certainly many have, uh, but not without there being other consequences. And I, I sort of knew from back in, in 2020, even that the genie was out of the bottle, right? And we were never going to get it back in. We were never going to really, certainly not societally, go back to where we were before. And so organizations have to figure out what they're going to do. Uh, I, I think the reality is that the last numbers I saw from the from the federal the U.S. federal government said that um, something like 72 or 73 percent of organizations are rarely or never uh, having people work remotely. So it is a lot of people that are, but it's certainly not everybody. And if it's 73%, it's more than just um, factories, warehouses, hospitals, restaurants, right? Um, So there there are certainly a lot of organizations, and we work with many, that have gone back uh, a lot of the time. But I think the last word that you use, Beverly, is the most important one, which is flexible. For a long time, I've been saying the future of work is flexible. 
And I think organizations that are figuring that out, even if people are coming to the office regularly, flexibility is a big key to the future. I, I think you're right. It's what everybody wants. And of course, it's not the same thing for all people. But you know, one thing I've noticed, even where leaders really want people to be at work at least a big chunk of the time, because maybe that's how they do brainstorming and things the, the best. But even those people are a little more flexible if they really want uh, a team member. I've noticed that people who are supposed to be fully back at work have some team members who they want to keep and they're never coming back from Florida or wherever it is and they're making special accommodations. So it seems like even the people who are tough on being in the office still need flexibility these days. Don't you think? I think that that's true. And I think that, you know, um, I've been saying for quite a while that that folks that are sort of throwing stones at senior executives that want people to come back um, should should stop for a second and walk in their shoes and say, listen, I grew up in an environment. I figured out how to be successful. I want my team members to be successful. And where they figured out how to be successful was in a world of being in close proximity with those that they worked with and communicating with them on a synchronous basis all the time. And so, you know, it's, it's it's fair to want the best for your team and to know that what got you there was being together. And so I think that that drives some of what people uh, are looking for to get people back in the office. Um, and I think the biggest key is really being clear about why we're doing, making whatever decisions we're making. And, um, and I think you're right. I think that organizations, even if they're saying, hey, we're swinging the pendulum back to in the office more than not. Um, most realize, hey, we've got to have some flexibility. Hey, we, we don't want to lose that person that's moving to Florida uh, or whatever. And, and then coming up with ways to deal with that. I think that's exactly right. Well, that brings us to the whole question of how do we invent or reinvent or tweak the teams that we have that allow this kind of flexibility. And and you're very timely and great new book, uh, along with uh, your co-author. Is it Wayne Termel? Termel, um, yeah, Wayne Termel. The two, of you yeah. Have come, the two of you have come up with a kind of the book at the moment, once again, I, I think this is like your 20th book or something like that, but... Um, the new book is The Long Distance Team, Designing Your Team for Everyone's Success. And it is, in a way, I thought, kind of a fresh look at what is a team and what is it all about. So let's start with some basics. What is your definition of a team in the context of work? What's a team? Well, uh, you know, I, I'm, it, it feels like a quiz, right? Because I'm not looking at the book and you've read it since I have. I promise you that. Uh, but, but certainly a team is a group of people that have a common goal uh, and are accomplishing things that matter. And, and multiple people are contributing to making that happen. Now, what that looks like can be quite different in different situations. And it leads to your point, um, which is that if we realize that work has fundamentally changed, and where and how we do the work has fundamentally changed. It's time for us to take a look at the team's uh, design and structure and expectations as well. Because if we try to 
have the team be constructed and designed in the way that it was in the before times, um, that may not fit best for the today times. So I think you and I share um, the feeling that whenever a change is going on within an organization, it often starts with asking good questions and actually listening to the answers. And so if we have um, listeners out there who are wanting to invent or reinvent a team, can you suggest what are some of the um, important questions to ask and, and who do you ask to respond? Who should be involved in redesigning or tweaking a team? We'll start with the second part first, and that is everyone should be involved. Um, and so, you know, it's one thing if we're talking about an organization, a great big, large organization, we're talking culture, but if we're talking team design, that means you're talking about, you know, eight, 10, 12 people, which means all of them have a vested interest in what you're trying to accomplish uh, and what, what their role is in that accomplishment. And so they all need to have a say in it. So that's where I would start. Then go back to your, the first part of what, what questions to ask. First, I would say that we want to frame it, all of your questions around what we call the three C's. Uh, the three C's being communication, collaboration, and cohesion. So if we're going to create or recreate our teams, we need to think about those three major criteria. What does communication need to look like in the future? Uh, how do we? What are the tools we're going to use to do that, et cetera? Uh, how and when are we going to collaborate in what sorts of ways? And what does collaboration mean to us? And what does cohesion need to look like for us? Where are we in terms of our relationships, in terms of our trust, in terms of community, and sorts of all of those other sorts of things? So before you get to specific questions, Beverly, I think that you need to think about that as your framework. But one more thing before we get to the actual questions, and that is yeah. that you've got to really ask wanting answers, right? This can't just be a tactic. Well, let me ask a bunch of questions, right? I've already got a I already got pretty much this figured out. I'm going to I'm going to ask questions to check on my assumptions, but rather we need to make sure. Certainly, we can have an opinion if we're the leader. I mean, we have a vested interest. We're a member of the team as well, and yet we must ask the questions with the intention of co-creation, not uh, with the intention of confirmation, right? Or as the starting point to convince someone of something else. So with those things in context, then I think the questions become uh, not all that hard to think about in terms of, and and there's lots more than this in the book, but um, the ideas along the lines of like, given where we're at today in our work, what do we need to do differently in terms of our communication? What's working? What's not? Right. Uh, And then you sort of can take that through around cohesion, around collaboration. If we're going to be in the office some of the days, but not every day, what are the expectations we want to have of each other when we're in and when we're not? And what's the design of our team need to look like in relationship to that? So, for example, if the if the model that you're working under, you're designing your team against is that everyone comes to the office. Just make use use an example uh, three days a week, but they don't have to be the same three days then what does that mean to our team? And what is the expectation now for the leader? Because if the leader's only going to come in three days a week, then are there some team members that they're really 
not ever seeing in person? And is that what we want or not, right? I'm not giving you solutions here. I'm giving you questions to think about yeah. uh, as you start to design a team for a, literally a new world uh, of, 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 the, of the where, when, and how we work. And, and part of it that I'm noticing is that leaders sometimes want to create, whether it's the protocols around a team or a, a plan of any sort, they, they kind of want to get it and have it in place so they can go on to the next thing. But creating a collaborative team when the world is changing and we're learning new things, it's not fixed in stone, right? So the, you don't ask the questions this once. You have to keep um, keep up a dialogue, yeah. don't you? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think if, if, you, if you think about the word design, at some point we need to design something. We have something we're working from. But to your point, there should be an ongoing dialogue about, is this working, right? Like we can, we can create some changes to the way we're designing the work and the, and the team and how they interact, et cetera. And, and then we need to check those assumptions, right? So it, it, I would say more than never formulated, more iter- iterative. Uh, I'm not saying that word right, but you know, yeah. uh, it, it, continue yes. to iterate, right? Uh, and so um, we've been saying to leaders and organizations now, Beverly, for a couple of years, uh, focus more on piloting than creating policy, right? And I would say it's the same idea for our teams. We need to try, we need to, we need to create something that we can work with, and then we need to test against it. So your point of continuing to ask, I think is exactly right, but I do think we need to set something and work with it, uh, in part because there's so many things that people are dealing with that are in total flux, that if we can create some semblance of, here's what, we, what we've designed, Let's work with this for a while and then check it rather than saying, well, here's kind of how we're going to do it today, but we'll just keep looking at it as we go. I think we need to create some some new starting point for future conversations rather than it just looking like it's sort of always in flux. Well, that makes sense. But that brings us to another important uh, buzzword of the moment, um, and that is culture, what what you just described, that we're going to go through iterations and we're going to notice what's working, what's not, and change it, that requires a culture where it's okay to explore and maybe make a mistake or, you know, have to keep working. And so culture is another big theme in your book. And I I, it's a word we're hearing all the time, but I think people don't always mean the same thing. And in your book, what are you talking about when you talk about a strong culture? And and how do you get there? Well, first of all, let's just describe describe what culture is. I mean, and I'm a I'm a I'm a simple guy, right? So culture is simply the way we do things here. And anytime you gather a group of people together, you have a culture. You have a way. We do things around here. And, and so culture always exists and it's always changing. Uh, and our point is there are a lot of people that have written some really, really great stuff about here's the culture you should have. And, and there are a lot of great things to consider in, in, a, in an effective culture for sure. But our approach is not to tell you what your culture should be, but rather to help you see that 
it's important for you to have an aspirational picture of what you want it to be, right? So uh, we don't prescribe, hey, here, you need to have this and this and this and this. We do use those three C's. You need to think through what do, what do you want in terms of communication, collaboration, and cohesion. Um, but from our perspective, culture is uh, something that if we, if we don't work to create it intentionally, we're going to have one and it may not be the one that serves us best, right? And so many, I think the reason that it's such a, that it's such a hot topic now is not because it's never been important before, but because we did go through three years, Beverly, of a pandemic, right? And, and during that time, what happened was that cultures did change a lot quickly because so much context changed, right? And one of those things was so many people say, well, we just want to get our culture back. We want to bring people back so we can have culture, which is incorrect because you have one now, right? The question is, is the one you have now the one you want? And and the question is not how do we get back to the one we had, but how do we create the one that serves us best in the future, right? There certainly may be aspects of what you had in 2019 that you absolutely want to replicate, refresh, revitalize. And that's fantastic. But to basically just try to uh, photocopy what you had in 2019 and plug it in in 2023 and beyond, for all the reasons we've already talked about, Beverly, just doesn't make much sense, right? We've learned a lot uh, as organization, as individuals, as a society. And, uh, and people have different expectations, which means that we ought to be thinking about what is it that we want in our culture moving forward? That's why we call it the aspirational culture. Create that and then work, work in that direction. Okay. So now I want your guidance on two different directions. I've got two different questions. On the one hand, it's so clear that the leader has to take responsibility. The leaders of an organization have to understand and be conscious of what they want and model, you know, kind of live the culture they're trying to create. On the other hand, and the next thing I'll ask you about is, it's my observation that I've worked for a lot of big organizations like departments of the federal government, and I find that the culture can change dramatically from one unit to another unit. And I totally believe that everybody can have an impact on culture. So can can we look at those two things for a second? First, if you're uh, working with leaders, and I know you've worked with dozens and dozens of leaders around the world, mm-hmm. do you start with a discussion of culture? And how do you help the leader to want to own and and keep working on the culture what do you say well um so let's let's kind of go a little bit backwards here you mentioned that in different units and different departments and different areas of an organization big or small really the cultures can be different that's completely true most of us have observed that in one way or another um we've we've seen it we've experienced it both as a consumer or customer as well as as a participant right and and so we like to think about the fact that you have both a macro culture, but you also have a micro culture. And, and so leaders have a responsibility in relationship to both, right? And as you hinted at, 
um, the way the leader leads does have an impact on the way we do things around here, right? So when we help organizations uh, think about creating an aspirational culture, one of the things we spend a lot of time with with the leaders is to say, listen, if this culture is, if we're going to move in the direction of this culture, you have to be modeling it all the time. So we start to encourage them to use the culture as a lens to look through decisions against, right? Uh, and so if we make this decision, how does that impact the culture? Is it moving us in the direction or not? And if it's something that may seem like it doesn't quite match the culture, then they've got to have a communication plan to say, even so, here's why, or here's how it does fit, even though it might not seem that way to everyone on, up front, right? Because as you said, uh, leaders are always role models. Um, we may, we're not always good ones, right? But we're always role modeling. Yeah. And so, and people are paying attention uh, to what we're doing. And so leaders have a, from our perspective, leaders have a role. Here's our role in, around culture. Number one is to encourage the conversation to create the aspirational culture, right? Again, much like team design, culture needs to be um, owned by everyone. Uh, it, it can't be owned by the CEO or by the uh, you know, the senior leader in, in your department, but they need to be the uh, sponsor of it. They need to be the one that says, hey, this is important enough for us to spend time on and work on. And then they need to be leading the charge intentionally through their, through their efforts and their investments, but also through their actions every day. One of the things I've, I've noticed as a coach of, of leaders sometimes is that their understanding of their own goals and values will shift through the conversations as coaching goes along. And quite often what happens is leaders start with what they think is the model of what they want to be, what they want the organization to be. But through conversation, that kind of evolves and they start to learn that culture isn't a fixed thing. And so we're back to, it's an iterative process um, that culture continues to develop as the leaders grow. When, so when you're, let me ask you as a big time consultant with many clients, do you, when you're working with leaders on getting starting on these culture and team building um, issues, is this a mm -hmm. conversation you have with them over a while well, I as think they the grow or is it like you come in for a weekend? <laughs> um, I think mm -hmm. the most important thing to realize is that while leaders have a responsibility to, to frame the culture conversation and to model it, they don't own it. The culture needs to be owned by everyone. I think that's one of the biggest ideas in our book is that not only yeah. does it need to be owned by everyone, but here's how you can start to do that, right? So um, I, I want to there's something that you said that I think is is incredibly powerful that I want to loop back to because I think this may be one of the most useful things that that I could say today, and that is that as you're you said as you're I'm coaching a leader and as they're thinking as they're talking to me talking through their thoughts they're they're shifting right and yeah there's a there's a, there's a 
profound truth that says thoughts are fuzzy, but words bring clarity. And so just like you as a coach or me as a coach can help an individual leader get greater clarity by talking things through, that's exactly what we're, and part of the reason why we're encouraging leaders to do that with their teams, right? Everyone could, if I said to anyone right now, said like, define, define the culture you'd like in a perfect, in a workplace where everyone would love to come to work and we would get great results. Everyone would have some thoughts, but it would take a while for them to describe them in a way. And, and they would continue to, well, I mean that, but I don't really mean that. I mean this, it's closer to this. And so words matter. And so um, just like you're doing with an individual leader to help them get that clarity. And so it isn't necessarily that we're, we, we are changing, but what we're doing is we're getting clearer about what it will take to get where we want to go. Right. And the same thing can happen for our whole organization when we create a, a, a process of, of engaging people in these conversations rather than communicating what we decided I totally agree with you. And of course, I was kind of setting you up to answer the question because I did read the book. But um, <laughs> I want to change gears a little bit now because a lot of our listeners, of course, are not CEOs of big organizations. They may right. be leaders in self-directed teams or they may be um, leaders in their lives, but not at work. But Let's talk a bit about it from the individual perspective and, and back to um, what I deeply believe is that we can all have an impact on culture. Um, words do matter. So one thing that people can do if um, they're having trouble kind of figuring out their own views, and that's right about it. You know, if you write a few mm -hmm. sentences every day, if you're, say, leading a small team and you're not sure where to begin and you don't know what questions to ask even, if you write a few sentences every day, that can help you start to manage the words, can't it? Do you, do you ever work oh. with that kind of journaling with people? Uh, 100%. Um, uh, in terms of words mattering, right? And so thoughts are fuzzy, words bring clarity, whether they're spoken or whether they're written or whether it's both. And as humans, both of those things help us, right? Both talking about it and writing about it. Uh, some people tend to lean more into one or the other, uh, and yet both can help everyone. Um, so, you know, I think one of the things that we underestimate in the workplace is like collaboration so often is about we're in a room together or even a virtual room together. And in real time, we're talking this stuff out and brainstorming, et cetera. And yet um, the research shows that that doesn't serve everyone the best all the time in terms of our styles. And really all of us would gain uh, value and a little bit more time to think and then not just feel like I have to produce by saying something in the moment, but think by writing um, and that's a hurdle for a lot of people to get past. Like why I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not a good writer or whatever, but it's just about getting things down because clarity comes from doing that. Um, and, and so I always encourage Beverly, I always encourage people to do that. It's a really, really good point. And, and you said it a second ago, everyone has the power to influence culture, which is 100% correct. 
Correct. Um, and, and back to our earlier point when you were you were talking about the leader owning the culture, and I, I knew where you were going with that. And I love that you asked the question that way because that's where so many people start, right? Like it's my job as a leader to do this and then go do this to my team, uh, right? With great yeah. intention as opposed to doing it with my team, right? So. I, I, yeah, I've had, I can't tell you how many conversations um, with, uh, again, I do a lot of government work and it's all based on calendar and and funding and all of those kind of things. And a leader will be given notice, you have to um, have a new strategic plan and you've got to change your employee engagement plan by Thursday or by a week from tomorrow. Um, and it just, um, it, it, it is an impossible position for a leader to be in. So sometimes I say, okay, this is so they can check. And so you write this, but now let's do the real work. You know, sometimes yeah. you need to get things written down just so people have a snapshot of what's happening at the moment, but you don't confuse that with the ongoing effort because the ongoing effort is where the juice is and the joy is. And that's where people start coming together because they work together. Hopefully. 100%. Yeah. Like it's, it's the same thing I say about performance reviews, right? Um, there's a form that has to be filled out, fill out the form, but that's not why we're doing this. We're not doing it for the yes. form. You're not doing that. You're not doing the engagement plan for that. That's not the result, right? That's just a step. Do the do the engagement plan and turn in by a week from Thursday, like you said, uh, and then go out and go to roll up your sleeves and go to work with your team to really create engagement. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's it's like don't uh, confuse the map and the place you want to get to. They're not the same thing, um, and the map might the not even place. be accurate for more than a minute. So, but now now I'm thinking about some of our listeners out there who are. Um, not leaders, but are feeling inspired. Gee, maybe I can make a contribution and get this team to be, if not more efficient, maybe more fun, maybe more supportive. If you have somebody who is a team member and has never really thought that they could have an impact, um, do you have any suggestions on what people could do, maybe starting today to to be um, playing a more conscious role in impacting the culture and the um, operation of a team that they belong to. Yeah. So what, where um, can they start? Yeah. If, if I've got team members who don't, don't feel that there's anything they can do to make a difference that don't feel that what they do matters. I mean, it's another way of saying what you've said. Um, What we've got to do as a leader immediately is start asking them questions. Um, not so we can give them advice, but so that we can give them our attention. We just, we need to ask them questions like, well, what would you change? Or how, how could, how would you, what would you do to make this better? Or what could I do? Give me some feedback on what I could do differently that would serve you or the team better. And some people, when you ask those questions, um, they might be reticent to answer at first. That's okay. Ask again. And, and I'm not saying yeah. grill them for the next 20 minutes with the same question until they give you an answer, but I'm saying, hey, hey think about it and, and get back to me. And then in a day or so, hey, have you thought any more about that? Like, 
what, what do you think? What do you think we should do? What would you change? What, what, do you, what do you love about what we're doing? Like you can ask all those range of questions and, and keep asking because at some point they will, they will realize that you really want to know what they think. And once they share what they think, then they are starting to have that tangible impact and you start to shift their mindset about what their role could be because you've changed the way you've interacted with them. And, and sometimes a way to kind of edge into it, if you're, um, if you want feedback, but, um, you're afraid the answer will be, Oh, you're doing great. You're doing fine. But sometimes if you get very specific, like, you know, I've been writing this report with the same outline for a year, and I've started to think that there might be some ways I can make it more useful to you. Do you have any suggestions that um, would make it more useful? Or could you just tell me how this report is used so maybe I can think on it? So if you kind of get at something specific and small and not at all threatening or scary, that can be a way to start a conversation. For sure. So ask about something specific. Ask about and don't use don't use the word don't use the f word feedback. Um, just say yes. Uh, just say how what could I do that could make your work easier? What could I what am, what am I doing that's getting in your way? And by the way, when they use that other f word of fine, like if any of you who are listening have are married or have ever been married, you know that if your significant other <laughs> says things are fine, that they're not. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Fine is not the same as yes. perfect. Like we know that, right? So, um, so um, I think you're absolutely right. Ask about something specific, but I like to start less specific because you don't really know where what might be the thing that yeah. they most want to talk about, right? But but to get if you really do want some insight on something specific, of course, ask and to get them so they uh, are more comfortable to your point and are and are more willing to start to share. You, you may need to drop into something specific and then try to keep lifting their eyes up to something more broad. That's a good way to say it. Well, this has been wonderful. I always enjoy talking with you, Kevin. I want to repeat the name of this new book. And I read somewhere it's your 20th. I don't know. Is that right? Your 20th? It's, a, it's something like the, that. Uh, author, co-author, contributing author, something in that range, yeah. Well, a lot of books. Anyway, this new one, which I do recommend, um, is The Long Distance Team, Designing Your Team for Everyone's Success. And it's just full of specific tips and also kind of thoughtful suggestions that might be a good starting point if you're trying to figure out, you know, what can I do to change this culture or help this team grow a bit? Um, so... Thank you for joining me. I hope we get a chance to talk again soon because it's always so fun to talk with you. Thanks, Kevin. Beverly, it's my pleasure to be with you. And people, you can go take a look at the book. You can get even get an excerpt. Just go to longdistanceteambook.com. Thank you. Have a great day. Today, we've been talking with top leadership expert Kevin Eikenberry about how to create and nurture remote teams that actually work. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Beverly Jones, author of Find Your Happy at Work. And our sponsor is the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Service at Ohio University. 
Today's tip is that you won't find much career satisfaction if you're not committed to your work. Even if your job is only a few hours a week, you'll get more from it when you try to do your best during that short time. Thanks for listening to Jazzed About Work. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please help us spread the word. Thank you.